Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We are both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team. And we're on the Benefits Compliance Podcast to help break down challenging issues that are in front of employers with respect to their group health plans. And one of those huge challenges that's upcoming here and that everybody is trying to understand a little bit relates to the Consolidated Appropriations Act provision that relates to gag clause prohibitions. So gag clauses are something that we're starting to learn about, hear about, and is not something that most employers are familiar with. Uh, But this idea is something we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about the gag clause, what it is, what is the prohibition under the law here, and what is some recent litigation that might impact that. So Suzanne, let's start with the baseline discussion. What is a gag clause? What is the gag clause prohibition? Help us understand. Yeah, we have waded into this for sure um, in our arena, but the gag clause prohibition was set forth, as you mentioned, under the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, the CAA. It's codified in Section 724 of ERISA, and essentially it prohibits a group health plan from entering into an agreement with a TPA, a provider, a provider network that would directly or indirectly restrict Um, access to certain data. So it's at a high level, it's provider specific cost or quality information sharing with plan members or claims data. And that includes individual claims pricing sharing with this plan sponsors and and really their service providers. So it requires group health plans and, and health insurance issuers to annually report compliance with this gag clause prohibition. So they're filing an attestation that says we have not entered into any agreements or have any agreements in place that have these gag clause provisions. The first attestation is due December 31st, 2023, and it's with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, it's CMS. Um, And then it covers the period beginning December 27th, 2020, which was the effective date of the gag clause prohibition onward. And then thereafter, it will be due every December 31st. And so uh, fully insured plans, you're deemed to satisfy this attestation requirement as long as your health issuer submits an attestation on behalf of your plan. And they are also governed by this provision. So I would expect them to comply. In contrast, of course, we have self-insured plans and the plan's you know, it governs the agreements that they enter into with TPAs. And so even if they have uh, an agreement with a TPA that says that they will provide an attestation, the self-insured group health plan sponsor is still on the hook for that from a governance perspective. And the reason for that is the TPA is not governed by these different federal agencies. And so they can only place governance over who they have authority um, and so they have authority over the group health plan self, um, plan sponsors, and so that's who is required to comply. So it's particularly challenging, especially for those that have multiple plans. Remember, you must submit multiple attestations. But it's also challenging for self-insured plans because their TPAs really have primary control over the information, over the contract provisions that are all subject to this reporting. So there's this tension that's ongoing, um, and we're going to see it play out in courts. 
Uh, it also was addressed a little bit in an FAQ that was published earlier this year, but there's a definite tension that's ongoing with self-insured plans and TPAs. Yeah, so before we get to that FAQ and, and some of this litigation on this, it is important to highlight that tension because it's been a frustrating spot for employers, for brokers too, for us trying to help uh, advise clients and guide them through this process where TPAs really have been pushing back. We saw this play out a little bit with the mental health parity analysis, which is another part of the CAA that we have talked about at length before, uh, but just that that challenge that employers have in getting CPAs to sort of play along here uh, since they have most of the information. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Uh, tell us about the FAQ guidance first, and then we will get into some of this litigation. What did, what did the FAQ say and how, how could that be helpful? Well, the DOL, HHS, and, and Treasury issued a joint FAQ, so we'll just call them the departments. Uh, it is um, a Part 57. We'll, we'll refer to it as ACA uh, um, FAQ Part 57, and it was issued in February 2023. And I want to first point out, this is from a technical aspect, it includes a link to the CMS website, and that CMS website includes a lot of very helpful information on this attestation requirement. Um, just know that you're going to have to submit that attestation through the CMS HIOS portal. Uh, you'll have to obtain like a unique authentication code. Um, you will have to go onto their website and select that you don't have the code and it will be emailed to you. And then you'll have to provide some basic information and upload an Excel file um, that contains plan-related information. But just know that you can find all of that through that link to CMS website that includes FAQs, a user manual, that template, that Excel template. So if you will find that FAQ Part 57, it'll link into the CMS with all of that helpful information. So now that we've gotten kind of the technical aspect of it out of the way, we want to get more to the substance and what does this mean and, and what kind of information did they clarify? They provided some clarification regarding the scope of the gag clause prohibition. I alluded to it earlier, but if we want to get more specifically what the FAQ stated, it said health plans cannot enter into agreements that would effectively prevent the plan from number one, disclosing provider-specific cost or quality of care information or data to referring providers, the plan sponsor, and individuals who are or who are eligible to become participants in the plan. Number two, electronically accessing de-identified claims information, including financial information, provider information, and service codes. And then third, sharing this information with business associates in accordance with applicable privacy protections. So all of that's very important because what we find is sometimes TPAs will either limit the type of information that they give you. They may not give you all of the financial information or the provider information, or they may restrict how that information is then used thereafter, even if they do disclose it. So the FAQ did address some of the barriers to compliance recognizing uh, this challenge, and they stated that contracts cannot restrict disclosure of provider rates, even if a TPA considers the information proprietary, and it cannot provide a TPA with unilateral discretion over access to provider-specific cost and quality information. So that's important. They certainly see the tension there. So for example, a contract between a group health plan and a TPA that outlines payment to network providers at a certain rate and then prohibits the plan from providing that detail about the network rates to plan participants would be considered impermissible under the CAA. 
It also stated that contractual terms that function to restrict the plan from providing access or sharing the cost or quality information would just generally constitute a prohibited gag clause. So for example, TPAs have generally, or at times, limited access to the claims information by requiring plan sponsors to and business associates to agree to unreasonable confidentiality provisions before they would disclose the claims data. So they may say you need to sign an NDA, that NDA includes a lot of restrictions, um, but they won't provide the claims data without that ex executed NDA. Yeah, so this is really, um, these FAQs feel like they're going after some of the, I don't want to say excuses, but some of the reasons that uh, TPAs maybe are pushing back on the information. And so we've seen that come up and, and the FAQs are helpful in that way. Whether the TPAs will listen to the FAQs is a different story altogether. I also just wanted to quickly mention the FAQ guidance specifically excludes certain types of coverage. Um, so just so we know what we're, types of plans we're talking about here. They, the FAQs exclude coverage of accepted benefits. And so if the entity is offering only accepted benefits, then they would not have to do this. That would include certain vision and dental plans or of carriers offering only short-term limited duration insurance. And then it also excludes health FSAs and HRAs, health reimbursement arrangements. And so those account-based types of plans, we're not talking about those here, um, specifically on the account-based plans plans, those uh, don't use uh, provider networks or enter into these types of arrange, uh, agreements. So that's why we don't really have to worry about it there. So with that FAQ guidance in mind, knowing that some of these plans are excluded, let's get into this pending litigation. What's going on in the courts and, and what have been the issues there and the arguments on both sides? Well, we are starting to see um, the interpretation of this gag clause prohibition play out in the courts. Um, to cases in particular involve gag clause prohibitions um, with uh, um, Elevance Health, which was formerly Anthem. And they're really examples of the fight between the plan sponsors and their TPAs to access that claims data that we really highlighted earlier. But Anthem has filed a motion to dismiss in both cases, and the briefing that was submitted both in support of and in opposition of those motions really highlights the fundamental disagreements between plan sponsors and TPAs in general around the scope of this gag clause prohibition. So it's it's interesting to review and, and certainly recommend uh, reviewing these lawsuits if you have interest. But one lawsuit, the trustees of the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers against um, Anthem that was initiated in December of 2022, pits the trustees of the two self-funded group health plans against Anthem, which again is the TPA in this context. In the lawsuit, the trustees allege that Anthem is a planned fiduciary and that it breached its fiduciary duties by denying access to the trustees for the claims data, by failing to manage the claims prudently, and engaging in prohibited transactions. And mind you that it's really difficult for the trustees to identify if those claims have been handled properly, if they can't have access to that claims data. Insisting the lawsuit is necessitated by their fiduciary duty of prudence, the trustees, among other allegations, claim that Anthem is withholding claims data in violation of both Anthem's fiduciary duty to the plans and the prohibition on gag clauses that's in ERISA, Section 724 of ERISA. So specifically, the trustees allege that the terms of the plan's ASA, the Administrative Service Agreement, contains gag clauses that are impermissible and should be considered unenforceable against public policy. 
they reference FAQ Part 57 directly, and they allege that an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement that Anthem made them sign in order to get uh, release the claims data, constitutes a gag clause that because the agreement functions to impermissibly restrict the disclosure of the claims data by limiting how they can use that data and then limits the type of business associate to which the data could be disclosed. This is very interesting, and it's certainly something that we've been seeing play out. And so we're, we're glad to see this being litigated in the courts. Um, Anthem counters by alleging, among other things, that none of the defendants, that they are not arrested fiduciaries, that it's not violated the gag clause prohibi prohibition. First, they point out that Section 724 of ERISA creates obligations exclusively to the group health plans and health issuers, and it doesn't compel Anthem as a TPA to comply with the law. They also rely on language in Section 724 that permits reasonable restrictions on the public disclosure of claims information to support its insistent that the plan execute the NDA before it would release the claims data. And we will, we were concerned, I can say, about that language in Section 724 and how that would be used. In fact, when I was on the Hill recently speaking with Treasury, I pointed to that language as um, a reason, uh, you know, as a challenge that we're seeing uh, with TPAs in their relying on that language to restrict access to data. And so I can tell you that the Treasury was taking note, um, but we will have to see how that plays out in the courts. Yeah, so you can see some interesting arguments there on both sides and uh, pulling in the FAQ guidance as well. So uh, everything we've talked about previously is kind of coming into play in, in, these, uh, in this case. Um, there was another case though involving Anthem as well, right? There was, yes. Yeah. So there's a similar dispute dispute ongoing with Owens and Minor. Um, they they own they have a self uh, a single employer plan sponsor. And again, they allege that Anthem breached its fiduciary duty by refusing to turn over the claims data unless they signed an NDA, and uh, that would shield Anthem from liability, among other things, uh, if the data produced was erroneous, inaccurate, or incomplete. So, kind of holding their feet to the fire by saying, "We'll give you the data, but you have to agree." that we will have no liability for the data that we release to you. So again, uh, you know, Owens and Miner is, is saying that this is effectively a gag clause. It's preventing them from getting access to information unless they um, release them from full liability on the data. In addition, Anthem made the argument that Owens and Miner, by alleging that it could not comply with its own fiduciary obligations without the claims data, is effectively admitting breach of its fiduciary duties during the plan years leading up to that claim. And so this really illustrates kind of a dangerous trap for plan sponsors who want to use um, their fiduciary obligations as leverage to argue for greater transparency regarding that data. They're effectively admitting that they have breached their own obligations under ERISA. Yeah, very interesting. Turning it back on the plan sponsor in that way, right? Right. So where are these cases now? What What's happening and uh, what are the courts doing with them? Well, there were motions to dismiss that were in both cases. Um, I, I uh, honestly don't know if that's, those motions have been ruled on at this point, but our hope is that the court, at least one of them, will look into the substance of the lawsuits and will address the merits of the allegations regarding the gag clause prohibition violations um, so that we can have some guidance on the scope of that prohibition as well as the scope of the reasonable restrictions on public, public disclosure exception that's found in that prohibition. But both the FAQ Part 57 and this litigation acknowledge the difficult position that the gag clause prohibition creates for the plan sponsors. 
but the CAA still requires those plan sponsors to attest that their plans have not entered into any agreements containing gag clauses, even though it's apparent that the TPAs control nearly all aspect of their relationship with the providers, including the negotiated rates, the contract terms, the claims payments, and really often hold their feet to the fire with requiring them to sign an NDA that may effectively be a gag clause in order to get access to that claims data. So, you know, we'll have to see how this plays out, but it certainly puts those self-insured plans in a bind when they're having to attest to something that they have little control over. Right. Yeah. So again, illustrating that tension you started out with and hopefully seeing some progress here if one of these courts will come out with some type of ruling that's helpful in outlining those positions. It's really almost a lesson in lawmaking and, uh, you know, how, how do we get to the rules we get to? We have the law, then we have regulations, and in this case, we have FAQ guidance sort of coming from the government, but then uh, we have the players that are involved with their own interpretations and whether certain things are how they view it and, and whether they have to comply in this case with the TPAs. And so now we're at that next phase where, okay, let's see what the courts have to say here. Maybe they can help us and give us some guidance on what they think the FAQs mean, what the statute means, and, and who has to do what. So we'll let we'll let that play out, and we'll continue to track this. Any final thoughts, though, that might be helpful for employers as they uh, grapple with this, Suzanne? Well, uh, just I, that I agree with what you're saying is that what we're hearing from uh, sponsors of self-insured group health plans is, is particularly those that don't have significant negotiating leverage with their TPAs is that they hope the department or the courts will provide some additional leverage in negotiating these NDAs that will help in uh, you know accessing the claims data that they would like and help avoiding some of those restrictions on the use of the claims data once they receive it. So more to come on this. It's certainly a hot topic and one that is playing out in the courts under litigation and one that is continuing to be brought before, I can tell you, the Hill and some of the federal agencies so that they have a clear understanding of how this is working in, in reality. All right. Well, thank you very much, Suzanne. This is a very uh, challenging topic. And, and again, one that employers are grappling with, particularly as we uh, head to the mid-year point and knowing that this gag clause attestation is due at the end of the year, it will be very important to follow this. We'll continue to track uh, developments and report in our bi-weekly newsletter called Compliance Corner. That's available at nfp.com if that can be helpful. Uh, but thank you again, Suzanne, for walking through this. And as we like to say on the podcast, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us.